This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. What is going on? I'm Rob Fay. Welcome to Sports Bar Radio. It is the first day of September, and get a load of this. This is episode number 100. Thank you, Equity Group. Thank you, J-Swing. Thank you to everybody before I even start the show for helping me get to number 100. And thank you to everybody that's listened, that's taken time to subscribe, download, like, review, share, whatever it takes to try and get the word out about what we're doing. And we have made a lot of headway. I found out today that our numbers from August came out, and they're really good. Number two sports news podcast in Canada, number three in Korea, number eight in Japan, number 23 in Israel. We are currently ranked in the top 50 in 11 countries. All of that because you and I sit down for a couple hours every week and just chew the fat about the world of sports. And I love that expats around the world are starting to catch on to what we're doing. But again, this has started with you and me. And I love the fact that we've gotten to number 100. And I hope we get to two, three, 400. But for now, let's just look back on the first 100 shows. So what I'm going to do today, what I want to do, if I could just you know self-indulge for a couple of moments, is I want to look back on some of the great moments that you and I have shared together. I love doing interviews. It's my favorite thing to do. When I get the opportunity to learn about somebody that maybe I've never crossed paths with or maybe that I've been a fan of and I finally get to sit down across from them and have a conversation, that to me is why I wanted to do this show. That is to me why Chris Perry has given me kind of the keys to the car and let me drive around town. So today, you will hear from everybody from Cardinal Official, Maestro Fresh West, Chocolair, Checkmate, A-Track, to Bret Hart, Michelle Starr, Nicole Matthews, DJ Kimo, Sean Millington, Jack McDowell, Flipout, and more. I'm going to try to cram this all into about, what, 35 minutes? So let's get to it because, you know what, and they're not ranked in any particular order, I might add. That these are just clips that I thought, you know what, I want to circle back because they were either some great insight, super funny, or just something that I think has helped raise the game of this podcast right here. So I'm not going to get to the lead, but Jay, you know what we do in these moments where I can just take a pause, get a sip of water. Let me get everything organized in the background and take you to that one room where we have housed everything that I have just promised you. Let me take you into the VIP room. You knew tonight was going to be a good night, didn't you? Guys, the ladies don't want you wasting their time, so get to the point. 10 topics, 10 minutes. Hold on to your drinks because we're about to bring you the entire world of sports before the DJ can pull out the vinyl for his next set. Welcome to the VIP room. Okay, so let's get this off on the right foot because, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate to connect with some of the people in the hip-hop industry. I owe 100% of those opportunities to the producer of this show, Jay Swing, who has been so gracious to reach out to different people and have me connect with them. And we're going to get to a whole bunch of them over the next half hour. But the one that I will never forget, and I'm talking about guys that I've interviewed that are Juno Award winners, uh, so many cool interviews. But I'll never forget the time that local Vancouver DJ icon flip out in the middle of a conversation all of a sudden realizes that his dog is taking some of his property to town. There was... Oh my gosh, my dog is eating the barbell. One second here. (laughs) Sorry. 
Hey, buddy. <laughs> Look at this guy. Look what he did. No. Yeah. Oh my God, dude. Just now? Yeah. You see my eyes kind of avert, like looking away. I've been exactly. watching him eat random shit, but this is too far. <laughs> Look at this guy. Look at this guy. That is hey, crazy, man. There he is. Yeah, there he is. Man, he's okay? got trouble written out. Yeah, he's going to throw that thing up, man. What are you doing? Um, anyway, <laughs> there was so uh, just becoming kind of becoming friends with DJ Jazzy Jeff has been a total mind fuck. Wow. What made that so cool is right after he finished that whole scenario with his dog, he immediately goes back to answering the back portion of that question. That is a true pro, somebody that can go off course, but then immediately steer it back onto the tracks. And uh, Flip Out was a very cool interview. You know, all 100 of our shows are available on iTunes, on Spotify, Google Plus. So if you've heard one of these interviews today and you're like, man, I'd love to hear the whole thing, don't forget, you can just go back through the catalog. We've got them all listed one by one. If you want to hear the full 30-minute interview with Flip, to Maestro Fresh West, if you want to get into all those different conversations, they're all available to you. One of the things that I have also enjoyed, and again, I got to shout out Jay Swing for doing this, is he has been one to say, you know what, behind every star is a producer, and behind every producer is a thousand ideas, and uh, really kind of the path behind the scenes that few people get to see. Had an opportunity to sit down with DJ Kimo, the Juno award-winning producer of The Rascals, one of the true guys in the game that I think everybody respects, and it was really cool just to pick his brain on how once the East Coast of hip-hop really started to ascend to become mainstream, that the West Coast was more than ready to hold its end of the bargain. And it was so cool to hear this perspective from a guy that was right in the mix. We were in Vancouver just bubbling and, you know, perfecting what we're doing and, and just it was always love you know what I mean we listened to you know all these groups you know groups from Toronto uh, big groups that influenced us back in the day EPMD Tribe Called Quest Farside you know there was we took we took flavor from all over you know North America it wasn't all just one sound or something you know so Toronto is to New York as Vancouver is to where LA, I guess, California. So, would you degree. dip there? Would you? Because to me, everybody's always trying to say that they got roots. Like, for example, when I was, and I said this just before we came on air, when you were a kid in Toronto and you were trying to get into the game, it was all about the dub tape. You wanted a guy from Jamaica or Guyana or somebody to drop your name on one of the tapes that made its way into Toronto that would be played somewhere, and then all of a sudden you were in the game. Right. So, would that be the equivalent of going to LA and getting somebody to say your name there? Uh, yeah, but you know what? L.A. was almost so big that it was like, yeah, it was. I don't think anyone really had that uh, impact. Y even Maestro's impact in the U.S. was minimal. Yeah. You know, I remember he was the biggest thing here, and I'd go down there, and I'd talk to some peoples and DJs, and they'd be like, who's that? Like, he was signed to a very uh, small independent label in the U.S., and he got no real marketing, so... Canada and you know the ra the radio stations much music they showed him love they they're the ones that helped him blow up but that was it was strictly is that thanks Canadian. in part to CanCon as well though um you know CanCon's CanCon I, I think it only does so much I think you know if because if ra radio stations are reluctant even though it's CanCon it will only get so much so I I think everybody was riding for Maestro at the time you know I think he had good distribution through. Attic Records, I think, was distributing 
was the major distro uh, for him. But I think everybody just got on board. They really loved what he was doing, and, and, and they were like, this is new, it's, it's good, and let's push it. So one of the things that I've learned is no matter who you talk to in Canadian hip-hop, all roads lead back to one person. The godfather of Canadian hip-hop, Maestro Fresh West. Real name is Wes Williams. Let Your Backbone Slide is probably the most noted of all of his tracks, but he is the one guy that is the six degrees of separation from everybody. Great story, and this actually didn't make it onto the show, but he told me once he was doing a television show that shared a studio with Degrassi Junior High. Now, Degrassi is this television show that was really groundbreaking on the Canadian scale, and then they did this reboot of Degrassi Junior High that included a young guy by the name of Aubrey, who turned into Drake, the, you know, music sensation. So he was telling me that he used to share the same dressing room as Drake. So Maestro would have it in the morning, Drake would have it in the afternoon, they'd do a quick flip, and this is before he became Drake. This is just the guy that was playing on Degrassi Junior High, and he would say, Wes, I got something, man, it's coming, it's coming. And you gotta remember, Wes Williams, Maestro Fresh Wes at the time, was a really big deal in Canadian hip-hop. So the fact that this young upstart was telling him like, yo, I'm coming, I'm coming, trust me, it's gonna be big. And then it turned out to be Drake is pretty cool that those guys both at one point shared a locker room together uh, or a dressing room, pardon me, in uh, Toronto. All right, so here is Maestro Fresh West. And one of the things that I really appreciate about hip hop across this country is everybody's willing to pay respects to each other. There's no East Coast, West Coast thing. There's no Tupac Biggie. It's one love. And to hear that come right out of the Maestro's mouth was something that really just reaffirmed that it's an industry that you can be proud of here in Canada. My whole thing, Rob, is longevity, perseverance, and Canadian heritage, and the fact that I'm still here. I've shown longevity, I've shown perseverance, and I'm a part of that, our heritage, you know? You know, Backbone just got inducted in the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. Like, how cool is that, man? You know, that's something that we should acknowledge. And I, like I said, coming down to, you know, you being a Scarborough guy, you know, you understand what I'm saying, but to travel down to like Vancouver, and to meet the ragamuffin rascals back in like in 91 and just to see their evolution is a beautiful thing and see the scene from the west coast evolve whereas like i got friends now like rascals like you know swollen members you know mocha only just like you know like checkmate concise like these are my homies you know what i mean there's a lot of sun real that's my man you know there's a lot of talented artists out west but hip-hops gave us that opportunity to travel beyond just the parameters of scarborough or toronto but across the the country and on top of that when you look at what drake is doing what the weekend's doing watching the super bowl and, and just watching these artists evolve man it shows that it reinforces the fact we're the top of the global food chain when it comes to um music as a whole so it's, it's a good thing good feeling it's amazing insight. I could interview that guy every day of the week and probably never hear the same thing twice. Uh, so enjoyable to see a guy from my neck of the woods go on to do such great things. He lives in Halifax right now. He decided to take his family during COVID out to the far east coast and uh, has set up shop there and been doing very well for himself. I have been lucky to interview a lot of Canadian hip-hop guys, and again, my connections with Jay Swing, but more than anything, my love for this industry has allowed me to cross paths with some pretty cool guys, and every once in a while, I'll kind of sit back after the interview and I'll be like, man, that was something I was not expecting. For example, I had an interview a couple of months ago with a, uh, a really a global artist by the name of Cardinal Official, or Cardi for short. And he is a big personality on stage. He's loud, he's boisterous, he's over the top. But sitting down with the music executive Cardi 
was really enlightening for me. It was one of the very few times where I sat back after an interview and I said, I am better for that conversation. One of the questions that I asked Cardi, Cardinal Official, was with everything going on in the world right now, coming out of the you know stuff that happened south of the border with Black Lives Matter to everything that we're going through right now with a pandemic, I said, do you think that that could actually spur a new generation of good music, of good quality music? Like you think of all of the music that was created because of the Vietnam War and everything back in the 60s that generated this whole new flavor of music. I said, is there a potential for that to happen again considering where we are in the world right now? You know, it's actually a great question to be honest. It's a fantastic question, and I think in any other time, I would have been able to give you a clear-cut answer. We literally live in a time of anything and everything all the time and none of the time at the same time. I think before social media was a, was a thing, communities that suffered or that suffer and go through pain, that pain would stick around for a while and it would live within people, but now I think society, not just with the stuff that you're talking about, but pretty much everything, we've, we've become so desensitized to things to where it's like you see a murder today and you're shut, you're like, oh my, like it's, you know, it floors you. But then when you see it tomorrow, you're like, huh, okay, well, I'm still like, this is still crazy. And then you see five murders in a week and you're like, hmm. And then if you see certain things enough, it messes with your psyche to where you think like it all, it normalizes it. And I think that's what's scary about the time that we're in because that it applies to the social uprising that's going on. It applies to COVID and the vaccines, you know, mask, anti-maskers, whatever you want to call it. Um, it applies to uh, immigration. It applies to the economy. You know what I'm saying? It's like, there's so many things that are super extreme. Like, unfortunately, you know, I'm so glad that he's he's out of our ethos right now. But if you think about Donald Trump, he was a very overt example of the times that we're living in because we saw so much just disgusting behavior with regards to almost everything that it's like it just became a normal part of life. People just became used to it. And I think that's where we are now. So what I hope is that what people went through, like with our greater artists, that it resonates with them and that the greater artists take that to heart and have it be reflected in their music. Unfortunately, music is is it's pretty it's pretty sad at this point in time, if I'm if I'm being completely honest. Not that there isn't great music being made. Oh it's just so I don't know. There it's a it's another long story because music is very accessible and where music uh used to be, you know reserved not all not all of it but where a lot of it used to be reserved for people with actual talent right now it just seems like music is you know music occupies a space where if you have access and strategy that you can become as famous as the person with that incredible god-given talent what did i tell you one of the most articulate, enjoyable conversations that I think I've had over the first 99 episodes of Sports Bar Radio. You know, one of the things that I love asking, and if you've listened to this show, you know exactly where I'm going with this. Every time that I talk to a quote-unquote celebrity, I say, you know what, take me to one place in your life where you thought, how did I get here? So I'm interviewing Canadian hip-hop great, and yes, we're going to get into sport probably after this. But I ask Shaw Claire one of the greatest Canadian hip-hop guys around, 
take me to a place where unless I knew you, I would never have known that this happened. It's amazing to me. Even these stars that you see on TV and they're getting Juno Awards and you see them at the Grammys, how they are still fans of people in the industry and just remember these moments so, so vividly. This is a great one. So the record already came out in November in Canada. So now I'm in at some party in Beverly Hills. I don't even know where it is. I was just like, oh, I'm in Beverly Hills, you know, like, you know, I had my pinky out with my glass, like, you know, I'm just doing the Beverly Hills thing. And then all of a sudden we're in this, I'm in this club and right across, like directly like there, that's the door where you, if you people come in. So the door opens and it's red and meth. And they just dropped the Black Album, their first album. So they're walking in the building. And I've been a fan of Method Man and Red Man forever. I'm like huge fans. Red Man for sure, definitely. Method Man, Wu-Tang, I'm a big fan. And I see them and they walk. I was like, oh, damn, there's, you know, okay. Like, you know, like I'm like thinking I'm hot, hot stuff because I'm in the party and I'm just jamming and I'm like living off record company money right now they're taking care of me so if i wanted a drink at the bar they're just buying me i'm like yeah I'm, i feel like a hot stuff oh man a meth just walked in boom so now they're walking up and i'm like okay i really want to say what's up because i've never met them before and i'm huge fans like i turn it because i'm a fan of music so i'm turning into fan guy here because red and meth walk and then they keep walking and i notice that they're they have to walk right by me so i'm like all right okay so when they come by you know just you know just be cool and be like you know like uh what's up you know like just hold it together you know keep it together when you come so red man's in front method man's is behind him so red man comes up so he's getting in the thing and i'm getting all my things i'm all amped up because i'm like red man mother red man like i was like i reach out my hand like this he looks at me and he goes motherfucking shot claire and i was like <laughs> the full record pullback i was like what he goes, I know your boy Socrates. And you know who I, why I know you? I was like, I don't know. He's like, because we have the number one record in all over the world except Canada because we behind you. I was like, get the F out of here. And then they were like, then Matthew was like, yo, homie, we going in back, back. And then I was like, okay. And then I went back and I wasn't even smoking weed back then. And they were just smoking. And I was just like fan guy in the situation with read and met and they knew who i was and that's another story that is vivid because i remember exactly how close he went and how right to the hand i was about to grab when he went and said motherfucking shot clear <laughs> like the, the drop in your body was insane and that, that i have tons of those just kind of reflecting on some of the more enjoyable moments over the last 99 or 100 episodes and i'm so glad that you've stopped by. I do want to thank all my friends over at Equity Guru for giving me this opportunity and for the 99 opportunities before you and I connected on this show. So you hear one of those oh my god moments for Sean Claire. One of my oh my god moments and just one where I sat there for the entire interview and was just like this is actually happening. This is crazy. Um, there's a few of them but I want to get to one where I just smiled the entire time. And he knew that I was completely smitten and yet completely did the honors for me. Had a chance to sit down with Brett the Hitman Hart, legend in wrestling circles. And he basically just let me 
go on as long as I wanted, which I really appreciated. He was in town to do an appearance up at Nat Bailey Stadium. But what I remember about this, and this is a story not everybody knows, is I took him all around to do all these different shows. He did the morning show. He did the TSN or Team 1040 stuff. He did all of it. And finally, we had our moment to sit down and kind of chew the fat. And so I'm doing this electric interview. It's one that I'm actually really proud of. I look back and I'm like, I asked all the right questions. Um, he was so responsive. It was such a good interview. It's one of my most enjoyable interviews that I've ever done. And about 15 minutes into the interview, the power goes out in our room. The power goes out in the whole building. So I lose because everything's digital. I lost the entire interview. No, it's not like the Kobe Bryant story that I've told you from a couple of years ago. Um, so we're sitting there in the pitch black dark in this really small room, just a couple of stools and obviously the computer and the microphones. And all you can see is right at the bottom of the door, just a little stream of light that's coming from the other side, the other room. And all you can hear, and I can hardly even see the silhouette of Bret Hart. There's no windows, there's no anything. Is he goes, so are we going to have to do that again? And in my moment of just like, oh my God, I'm just like, I'm so sorry. He goes, no, no, I'm totally cool to do it again. He goes, that was a really good interview. And I was like, oh my God, I know. So sure enough, I think it was like five or six minutes later, the power comes back on. We hit record again. And even though some of the questions were the same, it will never be as good as the first, but it was still really neat just to sit down opposite an iconic wrestler in Bret the Hitman Hart. The guy I would really love to have wrestled again and again would have been Kurt Hanning. He was he was my favorite guy to work with in the sense that uh, you could wrestle him the, the day before and you'd be so wiped out and tired the next day. And you know, you drag yourself out to the match again to wrestle him again and you could go out there and I don't know what it would happen, but as soon as we wrestled, we always just, this energy came and the, the passion for for performing it was always so intense all the time when I wrestled with Kurt Henning he was we had a lot of lot in common and we after we understood our, sort of our timing and our the moves that he did and the moves I did and like we started to learn more about each other was he not one of the greatest character did he not fit that character to a T I mean he really was Mr. Perfect I remember yeah. some of the promos that they would shoot and you would sit there and you would just be like God does it get any better you know he really did for a lot of those vignettes that he did you know where they had him uh, shooting baskets backwards and all those little st he did all those on his own there's no you know it's right on camera and a lot of times i remember <laughs> the cameraman tell me that they did all those on first takes no kidding he, he was just he was a, he was amazing about that kind of stuff no just one of those guys that was good at whatever he did yeah really good when you look back at some of the guys that perhaps you didn't get a chance to wrestle maybe it was just not in the storyline alignment uh, within the federation is there some guy you look back and you're like man i would have loved to crack at him you know, there was a, there's quite a few I wish I could have worked with. I would love if I could have had one last match with a wrestler that I never got to work with. Work with it might have been Kurt Angle. Would have been a really good guy for me to have mm -hmm. one last Bret Hart versus somebody match. Would you know WrestleMania 18 or something? Would have, would have been nice for us to have danced one time, sort of thing. Can you take me through this as a fan of wrestling? Can you take me through what it's like when it's your turn and you've got to walk down the aisle in a WrestleMania? Well, you know, it's funny how for years I was always pretty uptight, like pretty nervous as I went out for the big pay-per-views and the big matches. No kidding. And then uh, SummerSlam, I don't know, 90, I guess, or 91, when I wrestled uh, Kurt Henning. I remember walking, I was nervous for weeks because I knew it was a, a big match. And uh, I just remember walking to the ring and I was so calm. I just realized that I'm, I'm not nervous. Like I just knew 
I realized I knew my job. I knew everything that I had to do in the match, and I, I knew I was as good as I was ever going to get kind of thing. And I had, I just remember that was the last time I ever got nervous. So if you ever watched me after SummerSlam that year, I mean, every time I ever walked out, I was pretty calm. And I, I understood what I had and what I did and what I was going to do, and I was really focused, and it all just flowed for me. I never, ever messed up. I find that fascinating because your character was just the persona of cool. There was nothing that could flap Brett the Hitman heart. And what I always found intriguing about your storyline over your journey through the decades in wrestling is you were such a good tag team partner. And then when you broke off, I think it took people a little while to really think of Bret Hart as an individual. When did you finally realize that Bret Hart as an individual had arrived and had finally separated from the Hart Foundation? Well, I'm probably, like I said, maybe around Kurt Henning, that SummerSlam, mm-hmm. or maybe when I wrestled Roddy Piper, which is like, I think, maybe a half year or a year later. But <clears throat> I think once I started having the... Re- I had, once I had that really super match with um, Piper, that was a big one for me because... He was such an icon at the time. He really, you know, really did pass the torch down to me, kind of thing. And that. And was that between you guys? Did did Roddy ever look at you at any point leading up to that match and say, even though you're not a kid by standards, did he ever look at you and say, "This is your time"? Um, not in so many words, but pretty much. You kind of knew. I knew that Roddy was um, Roddy was somebody that was uh, helping me get to the top, and he was going to open. He was holding the door for me. And those are the things you never forget. In wrestling, it's all about um, respecting the guy that's... Uh, there's a term in wrestling about doing the honors for somebody. Yeah. And um, Roddy Piper did the honors for me. And that's that says a lot right there. Again, I've interviewed uh, football guys, basketball, hockey, baseball. There was nothing like that. Actually, I do want to slip in one really quick one. So I had the chance to interview Nolan Ryan, the legendary Hall of Fame baseball pitcher, who I named my son after. My firstborn child's name is Nolan Ryan. Absolutely. So here I am interviewing Nolan Ryan, and I ask him, I go, oh, you know, it must be, you know, really cool to have people around the world naming their kids after you. Now, I know as a parent what I'm expecting or hoping that he'll say, you know, where it's like, oh, my God, I'm really honored. Thanks for doing that. But Nolan's Nolan. And uh, the response was fantastic. Well, you know, it, it, I guess uh, the older you get, uh, you reflect back on your life and, and it's it's been phenomenal the opportunities that I've had and, and uh, uh, the people that I've I've come in uh, contact with in my life and, and uh, uh, being able to uh, make a living in a professional sports and enjoy that sport and now I'm in a, in a position where I can uh, try to help other people that have that dream and so it, it truly has been a great ride and I, I feel very blessed and, and uh, enjoy what I do. I, 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 can't, I can't believe this, and if I've got you on the line, i got to ask you this. Somebody told me your warm-up music between innings while you were on the mound was Don't Go Breaking My Heart by Elton John. Is there truth to that? I need to know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. I'm an Elton John fan. I like the Pointer Sisters. I like the Eagles. So uh, uh, the guy here in uh, Arlington, uh, Chuck Morgan, uh, would play uh, different Elton John's uh songs a lot and so that was one that he played quite a bit 
I was so flustered that he wasn't giving me the answer that I wanted to my question that I really quickly diverted and just tried to change the topic altogether. <laughs> I didn't know what else to ask him. I mean, again, you name your child after an athlete and then you get an opportunity to talk to that athlete and ask him what it was, you know, if it meant anything to him that you named your child after him. And he's like, well, you know, total team effort, one game at a time. And I was just like, ah, uh, talk to me about the Pointer Sisters. I was totally rattled, but... Uh, <laughs> It was such a good moment and uh, another one that I will never forget. So I am going to switch gears. I want to talk a little more wrestling because uh, I have started this promotion along with Chris Perry, he of Equity Guru, and it's called Nation Extreme Wrestling, named after Rob Fay Nation. And one of the cool things is the 32 wrestlers that we have are outstanding. I have enjoyed getting to know them over the last month or two. Some are a little quirky, but most of them are pretty mainstream and really down to earth. And it, I wouldn't call her the ringleader, but one of the most respected wrestlers in this region goes by the name of Nicole Matthews. And I caught up with her a couple of weeks ago. And I asked her, I said, you know, Nicole, with everything going on in 2021, do you think that indie wrestling in particular might be better served going mainstream as far as online? Like, live shows are cool, but if the world's changing, would it be better to go online? I really respected and liked her answer. I, I hadn't even thought of half of this. I don't know. It's interesting because I think with a live event, like, you can go long and people are interested in it. Like, the whole, like people do have shorter attention spans for sure, and there's so many options. So you need to... Like if you're selling stuff online or doing the stream service, you really do need to have something that's unique and special and stands out because like they can watch a million other things. But like I, that live experience, though, I don't think anything replaces it. And I don't think that I don't think like, I don't know, I've wrestled for 15 years now. I don't think people have shorter attention spans now than they did when I was younger. Like, I think it's just a matter of being entertaining and being able to put on a performance and being engaging. So that's kind of on the performer, you have to be engaging. And I think with our future in BC, like the, you know, assuming no one's going to go off and become famous anytime soon, which is a very large assumption with our talent here. Um, we have an incredibly talented roster coming up, or who are current, I shouldn't even say coming up, who are, you know, currently on shows right now. And like the sky's the limit. Like we have the talent in the BC area, I think, to really expand professional wrestling and make it a thing and make it more successful than it is now. Always have the talent, but it's brimming now. It's crazy how good some of these young guys are. Another person that I have a lot of respect for in this industry is a guy by the name of Gorgeous Michelle Starr. I know him as Mark, but his stage name, his wrestling name is Gorgeous Michelle Starr. He is the owner of All Star Wrestling in Vancouver, one of the most storied promotions in all of Canada and uh, I wanted to get into it I wanted to get his perspective on what it takes to become a good indie wrestler I was a timekeeper I took the jackets I was a ring announcer I was a referee um, I was a help doing promotions uh, doing errands you know I did all that kind of stuff before I actually became a wrestler and you know honestly the, the best way to become a good wrestler is if you're a referee first if you referee like for a year or so before you actually wrestle you see how it how it works, the inner workings of it, and stuff like that. You you able to see how people, the wrestlers communicate with each other, and you you have the you have a front row seat, the best view of see how everything works, how all the tricks of the trade work, and how this makes people react this way and makes people react that way. You learn all this stuff, and the referee has the best seat in the house to learn this stuff. So I think I, I think guys who, who grew up in the business or 
worked their way from the ground up in the business are always better wrestlers than the guys that just come off the street who have no wrestling. They may have an athletic background, but they have no, they have no idea how professional wrestling works or TV wrestling, how, how, what it takes to, to incite the audience or get the reaction you want or how this works, this hole works into that hold. I mean, they, just don't, they don't get it and they never will get it, most of them. Um, so I, I'd always prefer to get guys that have a, a lot of heart and a, a lot of love for wrestling and, and actually follow wrestling and know what wrestling's about. And that's the way to definitely get in. And actually know about the history of wrestling too. Like when I train guys, I always make them do assignments. When I used to train guys, I, they'd have to do history sometimes. Like if they want to be a tag team wrestler, I pick out a great tag team from say like the Briscoe Brothers. Or, you know, if they want to be a heavyweight champion, I say, do, do a report on Luke Fez or Buddy Rogers or something like that. Something from the past. So if these wrestlers know who they're, at least the guys I train, know who their forefathers for in the business. You know, they, they kind of have a new respect where they don't just think that, hey, you know, the most recent guy I know was Steve Austin. Or, or there's, there, was, there was guys in way back in the, in the 19, early 1900s was wrestling, right? Love it. Again, you got to try a little bit of everything before you can finally step forward, and that is a part of the reason. Then, in addition to this show, I am uh, working on a wrestling job. I got my barber certification. I do about eight different things because I know at some point I'm probably going to have to draw on all of those in one way, shape, or form. You know, another person that is uh, really impressive to me actually works under the Equity Guru umbrella and goes by the name of Jody Vance. And she was one of my first guests on this show, probably, I think, episode number three or episode number four. And I just remember her walking me through her journey from BCTV to what she ended up doing with Sportsnet, being one of the first lead ladies in Canadian sports. And uh, it was so cool to catch up with her and really just be a fly on the wall as she walked me through the early days in her sporting career. I had the very unfortunate opportunity of getting my very first shot doing sports on TV the day that Bernie Pascal and John McKeechee were both unceremoniously let go from BCTV. No kidding. I was the one to replace them. And I'd never done it before in my life. So every time I see somebody who gets their opportunity to do something like, you're like, why did that person get fired? And then this person gets hired. I've been this person, but what was I supposed to do? Say no to my dream? It was Friday the 13th. It was Friday, September 13th, 1996. I'll never forget it. There was a lunar eclipse. I, there was no internet, dude. There was, I was like flipping through pages of a, of a book to figure out what the stats were. I did not know how to cut tape. I'd work in radio. It's a visual medium. I had eight minutes of sports to do on television. No clue. Barry Houlihan was kind of there and was like, see ya. And right around nine o'clock, I was doing the late news that night and I was terrified. I was kind of thinking maybe if I run right now, I can avoid all of the, the debacle that's about to happen. And then Squire Barnes walked in. And he took off his jacket and he put it on the back of my chair and he said, I just had a feeling you could use a little help. Nope. And Squire made sure that I made it that that night. And I left, Rob. I left after doing that sports cast that honestly, it was like divine intervention. Nothing went sideways on that first one. And I drove home in my little Honda Accord hatchback with a throbbing headache just from the, the stress of it all and thinking, okay, I've done it. I never have to do it again. I can die now. And then they called me and said, I want to do it again tomorrow. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I did it the next day. 
and everything went wrong. I mean, the wrong board came up. It said whale debate, the wrong highlight rolled. And I stopped and I looked straight into the camera and I said, my mother told me there'd be days like this. And I got such positive reaction from not melting down <laughs> and just being honest that I thought, you know what, if I'm just honest all the way moving forward, maybe I can do this with a big chunk of imposter syndrome sitting above my head. But I, that was the beginning of my journey. Tremendous. It always takes one person, and sometimes it only takes one person, to put their arm around you or look at you and say, you know what, you got this. My guy was Bob the Moj Marjanovic. He was the guy early on in my career that actually pulled me aside and said, listen, man, if you ever want to make it in this business, quote unquote, you're going to need to get out from that community television shadow and uh, join the mainstream at some point. And I was really nervous because I didn't go to school for this. I am not a BCIT graduate. Uh, I never went to school. I ended up teaching at a school, but I never went to school as a student. And I just um, really tried to make sure that when the microphone turned on or the camera looked at me, that I had something to say. It wasn't always good early on. Matter of fact, even when I look back at my time with the Vancouver Canadians as a broadcaster for 14 seasons, there's probably about 900 of those 1,000-plus games that I did that I wish I could do over again and do better. I guess that is the plight and the burden that every broadcaster that actually cares about their job takes with them. I want to thank you for listening to this particular show. Episode number 100 of Sports Bar Radio is now in the books, and I appreciate you allowing me to walk you down memory lane, and hopefully tomorrow's show we can get back to the news of the day. We'll talk about the BC Lions, the Edmonton Eskimos, or now the Elks, part of me, finally starting to rid themselves of the COVID that has riddled their team for the last week and a half, and uh, so much more. We're going to talk about the NHL, NBA, Canada. I do have to acknowledge the women at the World Champions, uh, the World Championships winning a gold medal over the USA today. That is a very big deal. And uh, so proud to see Canada once again at the top of the hockey landscape. And more than anything, thank you for helping me keep afloat over the first 100 shows. My thanks to Jay Swing, producer extraordinaire. Thank you, fella. You've been just uh, a really good friend to me for all 100, and I look forward to doing the next 100 with you. And to everybody at Equity Guru, I know you hear me say this, but it is honestly a big part of the reason that I'm able to do this show and keep the lights on at my house because the people over at Equity Guru have bought into this show. They trust me to put on a good show each and every day. And to Chris Perry, thank you. To Galen, to JP Chung, to Asan, all you guys have had a hand in this show as well. And to the irreplaceable Priscilla Choi, thank you. I am Rob Faye. For the final time today, you have been listening to Sports Bar Radio. Thank you for your subscriptions, likes, reviews, and shares, and all that jargon that they use on social media. Uh, more than anything, let's meet back here tomorrow again, shall we? Take care. Sports Bar Radio was brought to you by Equity Guru, investment information for the new generation. Visit us at equity.guru and let's make some money together. Please note, any mention of companies on this podcast is part of a promotional campaign, and the information you hear should be a part of extensive due diligence. As well, always get advice from an accredited financial advisor before you make any investment decision. Protect yourself.